I'm Jake. I'm Wes. And I'm Frankie. Hi, this is Greg Reffy, host of the Barbecue Central Show, and you are listening to the Grill Coach Podcast. Oh, yes, it's about that time to light it up and go outside. We're chilling, grilling up sides and drinks, rubs and recipes and cooking techniques. Outdoor cooking, grilling, smoke and barbecue. So much flavor to teach and learn and share with you. Grill Coaches Podcast to level up your game with Frankie Wes and Welcome to the Grill Coach Podcast. Got a special episode for you today. Today we have a special guest. His name is Greg Rimpy. Rimpy is really responsible for spreading a lot of news and information in the barbecue and grilling community for 12 to 15 years. Personally, I've gained a ton of information learning from him and his guest. I've strictly followed him on his weekly show that uh, we would like for him to kind of talk to about. But uh, I've contacted him and reached out to him on different times and commented on multiple platforms. And he's a guy that's passionate, just like the rest of these grill coaches on here. And I definitely like to have him on and talk about that, especially since he inspired some of this that we're doing now. So, Greg, welcome to the show. Jay, Frankie, Wes, totally humbled to be here, excited to talk some barbecue and grilling. Jay, I'm going to get after you about hating on gas grills at some point. I know we're going to do that. So let's get after it. All right. So uh, I do have a favor to ask for you. So at the first couple of segments of our show, if you just mind being a co-host and help us through the first couple of segments. I can try it out. Perfect. So we always start with a grilling highlight. We mean something that you cooked, something that you did, something that you saw or want to do in the world of grilling and barbecue. And since you're our guest, would you give us your grilling highlight for the week? The first grilling highlight of the week that I have is uh, we're big fans of crab legs here in this house. And Costco has Ooh. a uh, the king crab legs for like $7,000 a box. <laughs> I've been there. Nope. <laughs> I got my uh, yearly rebate check for 115 bucks or whatever it was. So we brought it over there and we were able to get it for, you know, I don't know, 60% off. Or... So I'd seen uh, a, a guy who's a regular on my show, Sam the Cooking Guy, did a grilled crab legs. And I said, man, that's something unique. I've only just done them in the oven, like steam, steam heat. And so we uh, cracked, I, I used the, we have these shears that my wife got from QVC and I cut up the underside of each leg. I removed the knuckle and the the under portion of the, I don't know the anatomy of a crab leg, but like where the knee would be, I took all that out <laughs> of the foot and took the knuckle off. And then I cut through those and took all of the meat out and had it in a separate pile. And that made, had quite a bit, but then I just had like the main leg part and I cut up the backside of that, exposing the, the meat so I could see the fillets I was going to be working with. And then went to the grill, it was like medium heat. So let's say uh, 350, 400 degrees. There was a butter and Old Bay um, uh, bath or uh, a mop that I was using. And every time I'd flip it, I'd get the grill brush and hit it with the butter and Old Bay seasoning. And it was, I don't know, it was like 15 minutes tops and took them off. And they were absolutely as good as they looked on Sam's video. And then I also poached the other meat that I had had from like the knee down and the knuckle. Because the knuckle, to be honest, and I hate to say it, I usually just, Toss it out. I mean, oh, work and I, I you know, I'm <laughs> too, too much work. Burn it, no problem. And so I said, I'm not going to do that this time. And I realized, a, I mean, there was just a lot of meat that I 
had not been enjoying before. And I poached it in all this butter and then drained it out, put it on the table. That was like the first stuff that went. I mean, it was readily accessible. We were able to throw it on some of the other side dishes that we had. But once we got the legs out, everybody was singing their praises. I mean, I love crab legs. What can I say? Once I ate 18 pounds of crab legs in a sitting at a place where you can get all you can eat crab legs. Wow. 18 (laughs) pounds. Yeah, 18 pounds. It was almost a record. So, Greg, did you? So, if I heard you right, did you cook them outside of the shell? No, they were. Uh, so, I cut up the shell and just kind of pulled them back a little bit just for ease of accessibility, but cooked them on the gas grill uh, and flipped wow. them over and then basted on every flip and then presented them in the shell. But then you could easily access gotcha. them. It was already cut. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a good presentation. Yeah, having crab legs when you're at a restaurant and they're like pre-cut like that, you just feel special. It's like, oh, they were thinking about me that you know we need this. Attention to detail. Yeah. One time we had some crab legs here at home and we cooked them in a soup, made a gumbo, and my wife was tearing into them. And one of the crab legs poked her thumb, and that thumb swelled up for like the next three or four days. Yeah, the king crab legs, especially, they're uh they got those little pricklies on them and they're much uh, the snow crabs that we usually don't have anything like that. But so I actually put on uh, the cotton mitt gloves that a lot of the pit masters use to do the heat and then put some nitrile gloves over the top and that's no problem. So I'm protected from the spines and I'm able wow. to work with them when they're hot. So that was just kind of a, a luck into figuring something out, but I was tired of ripping my gloves without the cotton mitt underneath and it was hot. And I said, well, I'll just try like I would do with pulled pork or brisket. I'll put these cotton gloves underneath and put the gloves over the top and it worked like magic. That 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 sounds great. I, I feel like I definitely got to try that. How about you, Frankie? My highlight this week is I think going to have to be more of a aspiration. I haven't had the chance to get outside and grill a lot this week. So next weekend, I'm hoping to pick up a whole fish and uh, throw it on the grill um, to try some more high heat grilling techniques rather than some of this uh, off river sear cooking I've been doing. So looking forward to that. Maybe Greg can give you some tips on cooking on that gas grill with some fish. You will not find me giving any tips about cooking fish. Fish is gross. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried it many times. I just can't get down with it. I don't know. You know, uh, let me re- let me retract that. My, my father-in-law, uh, like right now here in Cleveland, uh, walleye season is happening and he'll go out and just catch as many as he can. My mother-in-law will like... Uh, Almost do kind of a shake and bake coating on it, cook it in the oven. That that's not too bad. It's very mild, but as soon as it even starts to turn any kind of fishiness, I'm out. But, uh, you know, forget <laughs> yeah. it. It's not me. Not not a big cod guy, I guess. No, no. Cod, tilapia, orange roughy, and other weirder fish than that. No way. Catfish. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a crustacean guy. I'm shrimp, lobster, crab legs. That's my wheelhouse. That's it. All right, cool. Uh, Frankie, what what kind of fish are you going to pick up? Do you have have you had that planned out yet? Don't have it planned out yet. If if there's a boat in um at the dock, I would love to pick something up from there. But if not, oh my goodness, head, head to the market and see what they got there. You have access to Chilean sea bass out there? That I'd have to check in. I'm not quite sure, but the the boats bring in here in San Diego. The the boats will come in once a week, once every other week with some a bunch of different types. Uh, so we're pretty lucky in that regard. Cool. Wow. All right, I'll go next. So um, I actually was able to cop some beef ribs from the local Sam's Club. 
and these beef ribs that happen to come out this time, when I get beef ribs from Sam's Club, I always got to go and ask the butcher to give them to me because typically they cut them in the Korean style short ribs. If you want the full plate, you got to ask them for the so, plate beef ribs. So you're the reason I couldn't find my short ribs this week. I was like, yep, don't <laughs> cut them. I'm taking them. You know, they said, hey, we only got this many. I'll take them all. Yes. <laughs> uh, so anyways, um, you know, I recently, you know, was thinking about, OK, how other ways can I cook these on my vertical drum gateway smoker? So this time I tried a lower and slower method and I, I did. They kind of ran about nine hours or something like that. And uh, it just worked perfectly because it was a, a long day where I did a lot of work around the house. And uh, when you cut beef ribs, when they're kind of done and they are super moist, super tender, it's just so flavorful, so rich in fat and beef flavor. It, it, it melts in your mouth. And uh, I, I've had vegetarians say, oh, this is so good. <laughs> so, you know, but uh, I love to cook those things. But uh, I just know I can't eat them that often. How about you, Wes? I went looking for Korean short ribs. That's not a lie. I could <laughs> not find them at Sam's Club. And now I know why. Uh, but they did have a good deal on some tomahawks last week. Tomahawk, the tomahawk ribeyes, okay. and I don't, I don't get those very often. Uh, but for whatever reason, I we, we buy tri tips a lot, and I thought, yeah, we got to change this up and let's do something else. And I've heard you, Jay, say that you know those are basically a tri tip sized piece of meat. It's kind so of it like, a, like a tri tip on a stick. Yeah, yeah, that's. <laughs> so I got one and uh, I sous vide it. Um, Whoa! Yeah, Ooh. I sous vide it with some uh, butter with garlic and rosemary, and then I seared it off on the on the grill. And man, that was delicious! How long did you sous vide it for? Uh, I went for about six, and eh, maybe almost seven hours. And how did you determine that uh, time frame? The kind of recipe, I guess, that I followed was they they said only three hours, but I kind of got busy and meant to do it for lunch, but I ended up doing it for an early dinner instead. So I just, I let, we got busy. I let it ride and I didn't think it would hurt it. It, it did not hurt it to go that long. Hey, so for some of our new listeners uh, that might not know this method, can you kind of explain the sous vide method? Sure. It's, it's completely, I guess you call it indirect cooking. You bag the protein or, or whatever you're cooking in a in a freezer bag or a uh, vacuum bag and you can kind of prepare the meat by putting you know the different you know seasonings or flavors i use the butter and the black pepper and the salt and i put it in a vacuum bag and then you submerge that bag into water that is preheated and uh, the heat is maintained by kind of a pump with a heating element in it and it kind of dials in the heat very precisely uh, so that it can cook very, very evenly. It, it'll it give you a perfect doneness every single time. The only thing that it lacks, I would say, is, you know, the the sear or the, the char that you would get from, you know, a, a grill or or a pan. Uh, a lot of guys that I've seen online, they'll they'll take the product out of the bag once it's done cooking, and they'll sear it off on a high heat with a cast iron pan, or they'll take it to a a charcoal grill or a gas grill or something just real hot. So you just want to get that uh, 
nice crust on the outside. Hey, Greg, do you have any experience with sous vide? Yeah, I have a sous vide machine. It was it's called the sous vide Supreme. I think it looks like a bread baking box. One of those old school things that your mom probably had on the counter. Uh, it's not probably like what Wes has. He sounds like he's got more of a something uh, like an apparatus. that looks more like a submergible blender and uh, you can hang it off the side of some other type of water collection device. So exactly. this one that I have is way more rigid in the types of meat or the size of meats that you can put in it because it's just a box. But um, to Jay's point, it's really nice because you can set a temperature and it's never going to overcook. It will get it right up to 125 or 130 or whatever the temperature you set it at. And it will, once it reaches that, it's not going to go over. So if you're doing, uh, you know, another popular thing, Frankie had mentioned it a couple of minutes ago, this reverse sear. When I reverse sear a steak, I set my temperature, let's say, to 225. So we're slowly bringing it up. But if I left it in there for seven hours, like Wes did in his sous vide machine, I think it's going to be beat in seven hours because it's not going to stop once it reaches that internal temperature of 125. So that's the biggest difference in a sous vide machine is it will achieve that particular temperature and then we'll just keep it there. So if you want to do chicken, so the FDA recommends like chicken breast, the, you want to take it to 165 because 165 is that magic number where all the nasties die immediately. However, if you're doing sous vide, you can set that temperature at 155 and leave it in there for uh, two hours or whatever it is. So if you go to the FDA website, there are other temperatures besides that 165, which is the immediate kill zone. And it'll say, well, instead of if you're doing it at 155, well, you have to get it there and then hold it, hold it at that temperature for three minutes instead of 165 at immediate. That allows you to have a, I'm going to say undercooked chicken, but it allows you to have a temperature, a safe temperature of chicken that is below the 165. But it's all about temperature and then time of holding at that temperature to kill the nasty stuff. I'm a big fan of sous vide in certain instances, but I'm not like some of these kooks that are doing briskets and pork butts because to me, it's in the sous vide machine for 48 hours. I mean, I can cook one at 12. <laughs> But if that's your that's your bag, fine. That's cool. <laughs> I, I've seen that the the brisket before. I've I've seen one of my friends post a picture of that where he's done it in one of those bins that you put under your bed, and oh. <laughs> those little plastic bins. He filled it with like whatever those those little those, those ping pong ball looking things to kind of displace the water, so you're not you're not trying to you know keep that vo that entire volume of water up the whole time. But yeah, that was it was pretty funny to to see that wow and then like four days you have to sous vide that thing <laughs> the 48 hours yeah like like uh, greg said yeah i, I want to say it was close to that the other unique thing about sous viding the brisket is it's done they call it medium rare brisket so you're running it at 135 or 140 degrees for three days or four days and then you take it out and you put it on the barbecue pit to finish but still, when you cut into it, it looks medium rare. So you got to get over that mental hurdle too, because typically when you're cutting into a brisket, you know, it has that color and the bark and all that other stuff that you're used to seeing traditionally. So this is a bit out of the norm. Is this sous vide process, does that mess with the bark formation on anything? Or even like when you sear that tomahawk, west? I mean, what do you guys experience with that? You don't get as much of the natural wood flavor as if you were to cook it on a grill indirect and then sear it off. 
Yeah, I don't think you're doing sous vide for any kind of maximization. I don't think that's a word of flavor. <laughs> you're doing it because you're achieving that perfect internal temperature, and then you're going to a much hotter surface just to give it the Maillard effect. Because let's face it, uh, Wes, you can corroborate this. When you cut it out of the bag, it looks like crap. It's gray. It's unattractive. It has some of the spices left on it. Plus, there's a whole bunch of purge that that meat ejects while it's sitting in there as well that you got to figure out what to do with. Um, I just dump it down the drain. <laughs> then I take uh, paper towels and I pat it down. This is if I'm doing a steak. And then we go to the grill. And it's literally a minute on each side. And I'm probably running about 500, 550. And, uh, you know, a little uh, grilling oil on each side and right onto the, onto the grill grates for some color. And that's it. Yeah, that, wow. you're right. You know that that piece of, especially chicken, looks terrible coming out of those bags. Yeah, bro. <laughs> That's why you have to do something else to it. Yep. <laughs> I don't know if I want to try this method. You guys have me on the fence. Sometimes <laughs> I want to try it. Sometimes I do. I don't know. I haven't been there yet. Frankie, you have any sous vide? Yeah, I've used this technique in the kitchen a lot, and um, particularly for steaks, and I'll, cast, I'll finish it off in the cast iron. It works really well. It's very forgiving, especially I found for cooking for large groups of folks, especially like steaks. Um, we did, we do like joint celebrations for like Valentine's day, for example. So we'll sous vide a bunch of steaks while we are able to prepare everything else and socialize and then just sear them right before we're ready to eat. It's worth a try, Jay. I think you should, yeah. you know, don't be, uh, don't be scared. Jump in with both feet. And then if you don't like it, then at least you try it. Hey, Jay, I think I've served you one. I don't know if I told you it was sous vide before, but I don't remember you saying anything about it. Other than man, that thing is cooked perfect. <laughs> I just thought it was just Wes because he's, you know, his nature. Everything got to be detailed, and he wouldn't, if it's not perfect, he wouldn't even serve it. You know, he would eat it for himself or something. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, awesome, guys. Thanks for those highlights. Let's uh, dive deep into some listener questions. Again, I want to thank all the listeners for sending in those questions. Please continue to go to thegrillcoach.com, reach out to us, and we are working hard to like always get back to you personally and then even try to get your question answered on the show. So uh, thank you for those and continue to send them. So the first question comes from our Facebook group. Uh, you can check us out on Facebook at The Grill Coach. Uh, we try and, like Jay said, we, we try and get back to you guys as soon as possible. And we love the feedback you guys are giving us on, on that Facebook group. So the first question I got here is a meat thermometer question want to go into detail about kind of how, when, and why we use a meat thermometer. And, and Jay, I, I, I think that's a good question for you, man. All right. Well, when I first started barbecuing, for sure, I used to have the meat thermometer, the one where I can actually put on the grill and I'm hitting the grill temperature, but then also had the one where it was stuck in the protein. And so I can see the cook kind of as it goes through. I, I've kind of long left that alone because uh, once you cook it in the grills, you kind of know how they how they run. I feel comfortable with those temperatures. Really what's most important to me is having a quick two, three second timer where it's a digital thermometer and I can kind of get in there visually, those visual cues, I can see, okay, look, I'm look like I'm about done. And then I can poke and get my temperatures there. So um, the latest one I've been using was the gift that we got from you, Wes, the uh, Thermal Works Pro Needle. And it it is uh, it's pretty sharp, man. I, I really like it. So I, I like that it reads quickly. And I also like that the needle is very thin, you know, so I feel like I'm not poking no big old holes in my meat. 
how often would you use that thermometer throughout the cook? Say, say you're cooking a steak, for example, or a, a piece of chicken, like a thigh or a breast. So I would say the, the smaller the window of doneness, the more I'm using it. So something on a chicken thigh, I'm probably not using it much at all because I, I feel like I'm, I know I'm going to, you know, cook it really high, wait till that skin gets crispy or whatnot. And I know that there's a lot of range and it's not so uh, a certain point where I have to be at. But if I'm grilling a steak, I feel like I want to be as exact as I can. So I'm trying to punch it and be more accurate with more measurements there. So chicken breast, the same thing. That's another one where it's like real easy, man. That thing that chicken breast goes and turns into wood on you. And so uh, I, I try to make sure that I, I probe that one more frequent, frequently as well. So Greg or, or Frankie, how, how do you guys use a meat thermometer? So I used to, I'm pretty similar to Jay. I, well, actually I probably use it a lot more cause I'm still trying to get a feel for my kettle and how it works. So uh, I'm out there pretty frequently checking, but not too frequently. I don't want to be opening that up too often. Uh, I'm a big believer in Insareed digital meat thermometers. Uh, like Jay, in the beginning, I had this thing called a Maverick ET73, and it was an internal meat probe, but it also had a ambient pit temperature probe. And that uh, drove my mania to excessive levels because... <laughs> Here's what I've learned. It's great to have technology and it's great to know everything every second. But when you would see the pit temperature go up or down, inherently I was, because of OCD, I was trying to figure out, should I go make a vent adjustment? Should I sit? Should I wait? Should I do two vent adjustments? And it, <laughs> it would continue to try. And then you have to realize, um, as Jay was saying, it's first you got to know your cooker. See how it runs. Is it running hot? If you do these vent adjustments, how long does it take for things to actually react to those adjustments? Sometimes it's 15 or 20 minutes or longer before it actually dials in and settles down. So the thermometers do help. And they're for safety reasons. You have to use them. I mean, you don't want to guess on a piece of chicken that it's not and then serve something that's undercooked. I mean, people are going to get sick. They're going to talk trash about you forever and ever. So <laughs> to fix that or not have to get in that situation is you have a meat thermometer. So I use the Thermapen uh, Thermoworks uh, Thermapen. I've had uh, a number of those through the years. There are two or three second reads, hugely accurate. I do recommend as you get new thermometers or every once in a while, boil a pot of water, take out your thermometer, jab it in the boiling pot of water. It should register 212 because that's the temperature that water boils at. And then you know how accurate your thermometer is. Sometimes even the most expensive thermometers get out of calibration. Well, how are you going to know that if you don't check? You could all of a sudden be making great brisket and one day it turns because your thermometer takes a dump and it doesn't just turn off. It's just giving you bad temperature readings. And now you're overshooting because it's off by 15 or 20 degrees. So randomly go through and check all that. If this is now sparking you to do that, to see where you're at these days. And then at least you can make temperature adjustments uh, through the numbers as you're seeing them in the meat. Uh, and then my favorite remote uh, a thing is called the fireboard. So it's got six different channels and you can plug in varying combinations of internal and ambient pit temperature probes. So if you were just cooking one pork butt, you can jam an internal probe on that, but then you could have five other ambient temperature probes sitting in your barbecue pit. Like my brother-in-law is a maniac. He wants to know where every single temperature and the hot spots and the cool spots are. So he <laughs> runs all channels and it graphs and it saves and you can do all social media stuff with it. So you can get very <laughs> elaborate. Wow. Like, I would say for sure, uh, get a, I recommend the ThermoWorks ThermoPen. 
uh, buy the best and only cry once. It's a mantra of the barbecue and grilling game. And it's going to serve you very well. It will keep you safe. And it will allow you to get things done where they should be, as Jay was talking about. I mean, that's really the most important thing. Keep it safe and making sure that you're hitting your proper temperatures for dunnets. And from there, uh, you can, uh, you know, for steak, uh, what you were talking about, Wes, I probably don't use it until, you know, the last couple minutes because I know if I'm getting a steak that's this thick or a piece of chicken that's this thick or a weight of this rack of ribs, it's going to take usually about X amount of time if I'm running at X temperature. And once I get in that window, then I can start checking. And a lot of time it is more feel than temperature and some of the stuff, but um, that's what I recommend. Uh, definitely get one and don't think that you're not a man or you're not a barbecue pit master for you. <laughs> because let me tell you, every pit master in the country that's worth their salt has at least one of these instant read digital meat thermometers. That's that's great advice, Greg. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, when you were talking about the Maverick, I don't know if you shared my experiences, but in that long overnight cooks, you might set that temperature alarm where there was an upper limit and a lower limit. And then here you're freaking out, like trying to figure out what happened, what's going oh, yeah. on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you think you want to know that information all the time, but you, you, you don't, don't want to know it at three in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So the next question we got is a listener from San Diego sent us uh, a question about uh, barbecue classes. Can you re recommend any locally or to travel to? So, you know, one of the things that I've always wanted to go is to Clark Crew Barbecue's uh, class. He's in Yukon, Oklahoma. And I know I think he was doing like four classes a year. I think he recently opened a restaurant. But I imagine that restaurant, he'll probably have more barbecue classes coming up. But, uh, I, man, I tried to convince my wife, hey, let's go take a weekend and uh, let's go to Yukon, Oklahoma, you know, <laughs> because uh, they got be taken there. <laughs> yeah, you could take a spouse for like half the cost, too, you know, but uh, it, it, he's one I've always been wanting to go check out. Uh, Myron Mixon runs one. And I had a friend of mine who actually went to it and he was uh, he, he really had high remarks about that. But um, as far as any ones coming out of San Diego, I, I'm not I'm not sure of those. But uh, I, I think that Instagram is probably the best way to kind of maybe look for those. And maybe, Greg, maybe you might know of some of those barbecue classes. Yeah, well, I think in the near term, everybody's kind of screwed here because of what we're dealing with uh, from a pandemic standpoint. So a lot of classes, a lot of competitions, a lot of major gathering events have been closed. I would echo your sentiments, Jay, that the Meyer Mixon class always seems to do really well. That's actually held at his house in Unidala, Georgia. Classes otherwise, I mean, what are you into, right? I mean, if you're a competition guy, then I would suggest getting in contact with the top competition cooks and see if that's something that they're into. Five or six years ago, competition classes were all the rage. Everybody was doing them. If you guys won out and won a contest on a weekend, you were setting up shop the next weekend to give a class to try and make some money back. I mean, it seemed like the biggest cash grab ever. But the teams that are consistently doing it are the ones that you would want to look for. So uh, I would uh, also echo the Clark Crew Barbecue, although he is really tied up in that restaurant at this point in Oklahoma City. Uh, but you have uh, Darren Worth would be a great uh, guy to take a class. I don't, I don't think he actually does classes. Uh, I, th I still think that Rod Gray and Johnny Trigg do the old school versus high tech class in some form. But if Darren, just, Worth, Darren Worth is Iowa Smokey D's. Is that right? Yeah, Smokey D's. Yep. Yeah. Iowa Smokey D's. Okay. If you're a backyard person, 
check out the mom and pop barbecue and grill supplies or the ACE stores. A lot of those guys will have just backyard classes that if you go into the store, you approach them by email and or tell them you're interested. I bet there's, you know, 25 or 30 other people that are within your neighborhood where if they promoted it properly, they would be able to bring somebody in that knows what you're talking about and give you rib tips or uh, brisket tips or pork butt tips, you know, something that could be real easy like that. So there's a place right over on the west side of Cleveland that brings in a lot of the big names and does these classes four or five times a year. And the turnout's always great. And some of them are huge names and some of them are just run of the mill names. But as long as you know that you're getting instruction from somebody that knows what they're talking about, that's good. Also the Traeger classes, I think, or the Traeger workshop classes do really good. And um, there you're getting uh, Doug Shiding and Diva Q and Chad Ward and all these folks that have both a lot of uh, backyard experience, but then they're also very successful on the competition circuit. So check those out. Frankie, you you mentioned on a previous show that you did Aaron Franklin's class. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, the Aaron Franklin's master class I took and I found it extremely informational and helpful. It came with the master class subscription that I had, but that was definitely one of the ones uh, that sold me on the subscription. Um, and I absolutely loved it. Aside from that, um, I you know I haven't known of any other uh, classes aside from the ones y'all have mentioned today, um, especially out here in San Diego. But I'd be happy to give you some tips. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if Cali Comfort does barbecue classes or not, but I'm sure that's somebody that's within your area. Is it Spring Valley around the San Diego area, I think? Yeah, absolutely. It's right around here. Yeah, so Sean, the owner out there, knows a lot of folks that, you know, if, if, if I think he's kind of a guy that would make that happen at his place too. So if he knew there was enough interest and somebody voiced it, he would be able to, to put it together and get a pretty decent name. This sounds awesome. I'll have to look into that. Yeah, and I think he can be found at digitalhospitality.com. That's right. Another question we got is uh, kind of a, when are we going to talk about grilling vegetables? What What is your guys' take on grilling vegetables? Do you do it? 100%. I love it. Delicious. Yeah. So there you go. There's a grill. I'm just kidding. If you're not a fan of regular vegetables, however, you if you steam them or you cook them on the stove, and because I was never a huge vegetable guy, I didn't not like them, but I, it was always kind of like me. Um, the grill is a whole different world. Uh, rub seasonings, the the kiss of the flame and the smoke. It's you know, it's a it's a whole different world. So if if you've never liked asparagus, you will love asparagus. If you've never grilled uh, a head of romaine lettuce, uh, grilled salad. Has anybody done grilled salad yet? I mean, it's easy. Um, you get the same look that Frankie just did there uh, on the screen. <laughs> Minds are blown, but when you serve it to them, it's a taste explosion. Uh, like Sam, the cooking guy says, heat changes things. And when you take the romaine, so take a whole head of romaine, split it down the middle, wash it out, drizzle with olive oil. And then I use um, kind of like salt, garlic, and pepper on it as a simple seasoning, about 90 seconds on each side. And then top it with some grilled onions, if you want, or pepper jack cheese, some balsamic, uh, fresh corn. I'm telling you, it is unbelievable. Grilled salad. People will be talking about it for a lifetime. I, I call those uh, romaine steaks at the house. And yep. I, I do everything you do, except I just squeeze a uh, lemon on at the end and drizzle yeah. some more olive oil. It really almost, my um, my oldest doesn't even put any dressing on it at all. She likes the olive oil and the seasoning that I put on it and just eats it. She literally picks it up like a hot dog and jams it in her pie hole. Love those things. Yeah. I got to try that one of these days. Maybe yeah, I'll I try think I'm going to have to try that. 
super simple, like right at the end, everything comes in. You know, if you were doing steaks and you wanted to pair it, steaks are resting, and then just quickly, you know, 90 seconds on each side and bring them in and away you go. The looks you'll get will be dazzling. Yeah, they look great coming off of like some like grill grates, or uh, I'm sure they look uh, fantastic coming off of like a really thick grated barbecue, like uh, what you find on most gas grills, just to get those nice, clean char lines on those on those uh, pieces of romaine. So the the last question we've got today is kind of a question, a general question about our show. Uh, when do you guys release new content? That's up to our production manager, right, Frankie? <laughs> yeah, we release podcasts and new blog posts every Thursday. Uh, so you can always find it there, but sign up for our newsletter at thegrillcoach.com or subscribe wherever and however you listen to your podcasts for up to date. I do a live show on Tuesdays. So if you have nothing better to do from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, you can tune in. But I'm also recording at the same time. So uh, and it's a two hour show. So on Wednesdays, our number one goes up into the podcast feed. Thursdays, our number two goes up into the podcast feed. And because I've been doing it for so long, I have quite an extensive archive of content. So uh, now two plus years ago, we unveiled the best moments of the Barbecue Central show in 10 minutes or less. And that goes up every Friday. So as long as you're subscribed to the podcast, uh, which can be done at the bbqcentralshow.com slash subscribe, then you can make sure that you get everything, especially if you don't tune in live, then you know it's easy to be alerted and consume as you will. Greg, I did uh, attend a couple of your shows live and uh, you always talk about how they're a different experience. And it, yeah. it sure is. <laughs> If you get lost in the, I mean, the chat is like the show within the show, as I say. 80% of the time, what's happening in the chat has nothing to do with the show. I mean, who knows what's happening? So it's, it's worth it. I always say, once in your life, tune in and see, because you never know what's going to happen. It's, it's <laughs> live stuff. Anything can go. All right. Thanks for those questions, guys. Uh, again, a reminder to check out therealcoach.com. Also, check out thebarbecuecentralshow.com for uh, subscribe to the podcast and check out the show that Greg does. For now, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Hi, this is Jay, your host of the Grill Coach Podcast. I want to take a moment to thank each and every one of you for listening to the show. We are building a community of passionate cooks that are willing to learn, teach, and share the amazing world of grilling and barbecue. We could use your support to keep building. First, tell people you listen to us. Probably goes without saying, but I feel like I got to say it anyways. Secondly, go to thegrillcoach.com visit our new support page on our support page you can find our patreon link consider helping the show out by being a patron in all our current patrons thank you we appreciate it we also have products on the site that we know and we love click their links check out their products and see how it can help you namely snake river farms it's the place to go for high quality beef and pork it's amazing. I've had their food plenty of times. I was never disappointed. Don't be afraid to order it up for those special occasions, or even if you just want to surprise someone close to you. Also, we have PK Grills. PK Grills makes high quality cookers. They are very versatile, extremely well engineered and built for whatever purposes you might have in your backyard. So go to thegrillcoach.com support page and click on the link for PK Grills and Snake River Farms. Thank you for your time. Enjoy the show. Okay, guys, welcome back to the show. Thank you for listening. 
we're on with Greg Rimpy from the Barbecue Central Show, and we're going to ask him some questions now. So, Greg, can you tell us the first time you were proud of something that you cooked? Well, I guess I was dating my wife, and we were Is in our a lockdown meal. Is this what you I, locked her down oh, with? Oh no, this was when we were dating. Yeah, <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, partially maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she can keep uh, you around. <laughs> yeah. Just to show her I had some culinary wiles, and I did ch- uh, chicken tetrazzini. I've never made it since, but I made it that one time, and it was a winner. It tasted really good. Now that I'm mentioning it, I should probably whip that up again just for old time's sake, but that was the first thing I cooked that I was proud of. I had my mother's guidance at that point, but, you know, young face. I don't know, 19, 20-year-old, what, what did I know? All right. Awesome. How about give us a good barbecue disaster story? Disaster? Well, is is it the first time you tried to barbecue like us? I mean, that wasn't a disaster. It was just horribly average. You know, I had Smoky Mountain. I followed the directions on how to fire it up, which is completely incorrect. (laughs) I tried to figure out, like, how come this thing was... It was raging in temperature. I was like, I, I, there's no way I'm going to get this thing down to 250. I was running at 400 plus. But they tell you in the directions to add two lit charcoals or two lit chimneys of charcoals on top of unlit charcoal. I mean, I had a raging yeah. fire. I, I've lived this story too. So I was like, oh, I can never do this again. This will make a nice potted planter. Maybe I'll turn it into that. And then I found the virtual Weber bullet and that's what changed my life. And everybody's like, no, 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 no. You don't start hot and then try and bat it down you start low and build it up because then you can control the temperature much better on the way up than you can uh, if it's already running too hot so um disasters other than that i had a uh, and this was self-induced by the way so it has nothing to do with the product but when i uh, i think it was like the fifth or sixth cook on the traeger that i have i didn't do a good job of cleaning out the grease trap so when I went from low and slow to like uh, 400 to do some jalapeno poppers, the grease trap caught on fire. And Ooh. I didn't realize until I saw some black smoke running out of the vents. And I said, well, I've never seen that before. And I opened <laughs> it up and right there on the left side, it was just throwing flames like crazy. But that was that was my fault. So uh, that was wow. probably the biggest disaster I've had. A reminder to our listeners, you got to cook with all your senses. You got to be watching, hearing things, smelling things. Yeah, uh, to try to avoid some of that. And by the way, uh, I think you guys were talking about maintenance of grills a couple shows ago. Yep. The pellet cookers do need routine maintenance. You have to bust the guts out of it. You have to get your shop vac. You have to vacuum it all out. You can recharge the pellet with some uh, unburned ones if you want to get through the cycling faster for the next one. But it if you're not cleaning out the grease traps and you're not doing just the minimum amount of maintenance, you can't then get on the message forums and talk about what a piece of crap this or that cooker is. If you're not doing your part, I mean, if it's a piece of crap, it's a piece of crap, but if you're not doing the maintenance that it tells you to do in order to not have it be that piece of crap, then that's your fault. It's not the, it's not the manufacturer's fault. A good musician (laughs) never blames his instrument. Right. (laughs) <laughs> hey, you mentioned the virtual Weber bullet. You said that? Yeah. What, what is that? When I found it now, God, I mean, however long, 16 years ago or whatever it was, it was solely dedicated to the Weber Smoky Mountain. I don't even remember how I found it, but I found it. And thank God. And it was just a message forum 
that you went on and had a bunch of different channels in there. So there was some off topic stuff. And then there was uh, general barbecue, general grilling. You know, back in those days, the message forums were happening. Like that was the yeah. technology. Post a question and somebody would answer it. And you're like, oh, okay, great. And the really <laughs> popular ones had a lot of, you know, quick reactions. And uh, it had morphed since then into other stuff. But, you know, now there's YouTube and podcasts and all that stuff. But that's, that's what it was. So that literally changed my life in, in many ways. A, it taught me how to cook much better on the Weber Smoky Mountain. But then it also gave me the foray into owning a message forum and ultimately starting the show. Awesome. While we're still on the topic of cookers, what types of cookers do you have? Uh, currently, I have an Alfresco outdoor oven. It looks like a pizza oven, but it's not. It's just an outdoor oven that runs on charcoal. I have a Weber Gas Grill Genesis 3 burner. I have a Traeger Timberline 1850, a Green Mountain Grill Choice line, uh, Daniel Boone, which is the midsize model. And there's also a pizza oven insert with that. I have a Lang 36-inch offset cooker. And uh, I had an Art Flame, but I uh, dumped it like a couple weeks ago. Oh. Uh, and then I also have a Green Mountain Grill Prime Daniel Boone that's in the garage not put together because when I got it, we thought, you know, we realized we were going to be moving and I didn't want to put it together. And much easier to move in the box. So that's what I have currently. Sounds like quite the spread. I thinned out a little bit. I've, yeah. I had three or four more at one point. So yeah. <laughs> you call me when you're ready to get rid of some of those. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you want to pay the shipping? They're all yours, buddy. <laughs> uh, uh, do you have a favorite of any of those cookers? A favorite's a bad word. I have ones that I will go to depending on what's happening in my life that day. If I have the time, then I will always choose to cook on the Lang because, in my opinion, there is no better barbecue produced than on an offset smoker. The flavor that the sticks provide and the live fire and the way that it drafts and pushing smoke and air through that cooking chamber is second to none. But I can't cook like that every day. I can't cook like that every weekend. I have kids. A couple of them are very high-level athletes, so we're traveling all the time, uh, typically on a Thursday through the weekend, not getting back until late Sunday. So that doesn't happen all the time. But when I have the time, I'll do that. Otherwise, it's the Traeger or Green Mountain Grill and uh, the Gas Grill. Absolutely. I mean, those are my go-tos out of the... Those were the four that I would keep if I had to dump half of what I have. Uh, and that Lang, that's a reverse flow smoker. Is that correct? Yeah. So the firebox and the chimney are both on the same side. So if you're looking into the main cooking chamber and you take the cooking grates out, there's a, uh, for lack of a better term, a, a full-length baffle or shield that runs across. And then it opens up right where the normal stack would be on a traditional offset. So because of where the chimney is, the smoke runs through the bottom of this baffle, it comes up, and then it runs back across the cooking chamber and out. So the thought or the idea is that you're getting a better smoke coverage because it's running back through the whole entire chamber before it's exhausted back out of the top. Mm. And I've heard they're really well made as well. Yeah, there's a lot of really good made offsets anymore uh pits and spits langs uh gator pits close is probably the grandfather of all uh offset barbecue pits but uh remember uh, in a so if you go to lowe's and you see something that looks like one like those uh, oklahoma joes or those char grillers or whatever i mean yeah. you're in for a nightmare it costs 200 bucks it's leaky you're going to be blowing your head off by the time you're done with your first cook because it's going to be a fire management nightmare a true Texas offset is going to run you a minimum of 1800 bucks or more like 1800 bucks is what my 36 inch is going to run. Then you got to wow. pay. Shipping. I mean, the, but they're 800 pounds. They're quarter inch steel. 
Like these things, your kid is going to have it and their kids are going to have it. You hardly have any maintenance on it. You can just let it sit out in the elements. And aside from some surface rust, if you know how to take care of that, nothing's ever going to happen to it. But you're going to be paying up front. Again, buy the best and only cry once. Know what you're getting. Just because it looks like a real offset doesn't mean it's going to perform like that. Oh, awesome. So, Greg, so what would you say to somebody that's never listened to your show? Like if somebody asked you, hey, what, what is your show about? Uh, the quick pitch is if you know what ESPN is and does for the sporting world, I'm the same thing for the barbecue and grilling community. Not food channel, not going to do recipes, but I have the guests that do that. I'm just a guy that covers the live fire industry. Why did you start something like that? The, the concept of the original show was I had the, the mainstay was the message form. I had the barbecue central message form. And then during that time when it was really gaining steam and attracting a lot of visitors and members, there was an onslaught of competing forms. So to separate, I started a podcast. So this was back in 2006, I guess, or 2005, maybe. So that's kind of when podcasts were just just starting starting to get going. Like Adam Curry is widely accredited for being like the first podcaster ever, the former MTV VJ guy. So it was right around that time. I had no idea what I was doing. I have no formal training in any broadcasting at all, period. Uh, Before, since, in between, whatever. So I didn't know what I was doing, but I figured in order to separate myself from some of the other forums out there, I would start a podcast. But the first podcast, you know, A, were dynamically horrible. And Mm. they were solely focused on the forum. So I was interviewing, you know, if Jay was a member of my forum, I would interview Jay and be like, hey, Jay, you're a member of the forum. What do you like? What's your favorite section? You know, who do you hate the most? What stuff like that. (laughs) (laughs) Statistics about the forum. It was all very forum focused. And then there was quite an onslaught of barbecue related podcasts. And then I decided to re-separate. And that's when the live show started. I found a guy that was starting an online radio station in L.A., and I reached out to him through Craigslist and said, I do a podcast right now for the last couple of years. I'm thinking about doing something live as well. If we figure out some technology where you can tap into me in Cleveland and we can regenerate it through your servers in LA, what do you think? And it took some convincing because he thought I would be out of stuff to talk about like within three shows. And uh, I convinced him to let me try. And, you know, here we are 12 years later. So it's, um, it's, it's been a, a wild experience, but it's always been to separate it wasn't like I was looking to do it per se, but it was always a way to separate something else that was already existing from all the other stuff. What do you think is uh, on the horizon for you as far as your podcast goes? What's the next? What do you think the next big thing is going to be? It continues to generate off of what the audience wants. Many years ago, it was all about competition. Everybody wanted to know competition. It was on television. Barbecue Pitmasters was on television. It was everywhere. And one of the things I always say is unlike a lot of the other sports that we watch, you know, uh, Frankie and, and uh, Wes and Jay, we're not going out onto the professional baseball field and earning a chance on any team. Uh, we're not that good. We're not built like that. We're not world-class athletes. Same thing for NBA, same thing for NFL. However, with competition barbecue, you don't have to be in world-class shape. I mean, look at these guys. Uh, and what's more <laughs> important is, you have the ability, the unique ability and opportunity to go against the best that are out there. Find where Darren Worth is going to be this weekend or find where Travis Clark is going to be this weekend. Pay that entry fee, and then you can see where your barbecue stacks up if that's what you want. You can't do that anywhere else. So within that time frame, it was just like a, a magic 
golden era, as I call it, of barbecue. It since started to trend down, but um, everybody wanted to hear about it. Everybody wanted to listen to pitmasters talk about it. So we did all that. And over the years, it's changed. It's become more backyard focused. So that's what I've done. I've uh, now made relationships with authors and bloggers and people that have way more ability and skill to put together recipes than I do. And so we, we talk about that. Certainly, we do talk competition still, but 2020 for everything, for business, for podcasts. I mean, it's all throwaway. You can't look at this year and try and forecast out into next year. I mean, it's, it's a nightmare. So we'll just see how it goes. But that's the show in the nutshell. So, so speaking of like uh, barbecue competitions and and champions and pitmasters and whatnot, uh, you recently announced the barbecue Hall of Fame. I I honestly didn't know there was such a thing. Um, can you can you explain that? Yeah, well, don't feel bad. Malcolm Reed didn't even know that the barbecue Hall of Fame uh, fame was a thing until I told him last year. So, uh, <laughs> I, I, I mean, Malcolm Reed is from How to Barbecue Right, of extremely popular YouTube site. Uh, go check him out. Yeah. So he's got like a million subscribers. So when I said to Malcolm a year ago, I was like, did you even know there was a barbecue Hall of Fame? He's like, no, I didn't. So it's not surprising that most people don't. So especially if you're not like in into it. So uh, it's basically a, a Hall of Fame where the best of the best are nominated and three are picked and put in every year. It's been happening. I mean, it's been happening for a long time. Originally, it was started by the guy that was running the barbecue forum, that was the name of it, which was also a message board and uh, some other guy out in Iowa and they put it together with some weird online presence. And then five or six years ago, maybe a little longer than that, the American Royal bought it and they started to take over from there. And it's morphed into a couple weird things. And it was really my biggest issue with the barbecue hall of fame in the beginning was uh, a, they put, Guy Fieri in the Barbecue Hall of Fame. I figured that was coming out. (laughs) Uh, Let me make sure that this is uh, Waterford crystal clear. I don't not like Guy Fieri. I love Guy Fieri. He's a great talk show host. He's a great food host. He's a great writer. He's a great business entrepreneur. He's great at everything. He should not be in the Barbecue Hall of Fame. I have no idea what he did. Other than if you want to give me the whole, well, he does diners, drive-ins, and dives, and he exposes people to barbecue restaurants. Uh, okay, but that's it. And I don't even think that should get you into the barbecue hall of fame, but I know exactly why it happened and it's pulls at the very fabric. So I always say, if I I ever get in, in my speech, I will say my first order of action is to get guy out of the barbecue hall of fame. (laughs) (laughs) Be ejected from the barbecue hall of fame immediately when I say that in front of everybody. (laughs) Do you you think if you ever got to, uh, I don't know if you've spoken to him or not, but would he agree with you? 100% he would agree with me. Because I would say, guy, is there any reason that you should be in the Barbecue Hall of Fame that you know of? And he should say no. I mean, I have no idea why he would argue that fact. He couldn't argue it. It would be the worst interview in history. And I would love listening. Please come on the show so we can have this. I asked Michael Simon when I sat across from him and did an interview a couple of years ago in Cleveland. And I said, did you know Guy Fieri is in the Barbecue Hall of Fame? And he laughed out loud. I mean, his first reaction was yours, Wes. I didn't know there was a barbecue hall of fame. And then I said, did you know Guy Fieri was in it? And he's like, no. And I said, do you know why he would be in it? And he's like, no. And he laughed, laughed, like <laughs> his Michael Simon laughed. So it's, it's, a, it's a weird thing. So anyway, it's, it's held once a year. There, there's a nomination period, which is happening now until the, you know some point towards uh, end of March or whatever it is. And then during the opening time, you have the ability to submit a name. So let's say, I think, uh, you know, Jay has done 
things that earn him nomination into the Barbecue Hall of Fame or Wes or Frankie for that matter. Everybody's available, which is the other problem I have. Another thing. <laughs> ever anywhere that asks the general public for their input. I mean, that is dangerous. You get guys like me in the Barbecue Hall of Fame if you're asking <laughs> for the public for their nominations. But anyway, that's how they do it. So you have all this time to nominate. Then you answer some questions and give your reasons why Jay or Wes or Frankie should be in the Barbecue Hall of Fame, and then you submit it. Then that comes to a close. Now they have a panel that takes all of the names that have been funneled in, and they whittle those down to a final list of nine, and then those uh, of the nine, three of the top vote-getters and the uh, current living Barbecue Hall of Fame members are the people that vote. So the top three of the nine get voted in and make up that class of the Barbecue Hall of Fame that year. And who are the three that were inducted this year? Uh, that was Aaron Franklin and Desiree Robinson of Cozy Corner Barbecue in Memphis and uh, Oklahoma Joe, uh, Joe Don Davidson. Anybody ever heard of those guys? Aaron Franklin. You know Aaron. Aaron Franklin. <laughs> yeah. You never heard of Desiree Robinson, Frankie? Um, I have Memphis not. Icon? Can, you, can you give us a little bit? Uh, well, I mean, she's been, uh, I think she's 82 years old now. She, her husband originally started the restaurant in Memphis. 1975. And then he passed away early 80s. She actually left her job at at and took over the business. And now I think they're going into their third generation of uh, family ownership. So uh, well known for the fact that A, they have an aquarium style smoker, which in that area of the country is not something that you see traditionally. That's more Chicagoland area. And they're most notably known for their barbecued Cornish hens. Wow. Yes. And banana pudding, which is my favorite thing ever on a barbecue menu. <laughs> and then Joe, Joe Don Davidson is the guy that created Oklahoma Joe Smokers originally, but then he also started Oklahoma Joe's Barbecue Restaurant in Kansas City with Jeff Staney. And then eventually uh, they uh, split up not uh, with animosity and he opened Oklahoma Joe's in Oklahoma as well. So he's, you know, he's been a rock star for, for decades and decades. So I can see the hard part about the Barbecue Hall of Fame. You got all these people across the country all kinds of people who've contributed in their different ways or whatever. And how do you really nail that down to see who's worthy? It seems to be a little bit of a moving target. I think they really missed the boat in the beginning when they took it over from the online presence where they could have ushered in a few hundred folks, like really go back and do. So, you know, uh, the bottom line is this, when you go back and look through, you start really digging back into history. There were a lot of black folks that were enslaved, that were really pioneers of the whole barbecue scene. Oh, well, guess what? Back then, nobody seemed to really care about black people that much, and they didn't document them very well. So how can we go back and give them proper credit? We can't, which sucks. So wow. they missed that opportunity. Those are all people that should be in this huge mass introduction when that whole change took place. And then we could figure out we. Then I would suggest... <laughs> <laughs> you're on the board you just haven't announced it yet i guess <laughs> right breaking news guys just for your show um, there could be some there's been changing criteria like we're going to put in a business person and a pit master and a celebrity and then that went away so it is a, a little wishy-washy they're trying to do that there's been so much time that has passed already it's almost like you're trying to play catch up and you don't know how quickly you need to catch up so but there's certainly a part of history that we're that we've lost just because uh record keeping wasn't uh wasn't great because people didn't think other people mattered that much which is a shame so uh, i don't know how we rectify that portion of it 
But moving forward, I know that the board and the folks that are in charge of that want to do the right thing. And they've become very transparent and uh, very forthcoming with the agendas. So that part I give them credit for because that's really what I spent a lot of time bashing the crap out of them for in years past. And they've really come around uh, so much so that where they're giving me the exclusive of announcing the classes the last two years. So, you know, that's I, I give them credit for that. They want to do the right thing. It's just a matter of how we get there eventually. Awesome. All right, Greg, I want to chat about some food now. Uh, what are some favorite things that you like to cook? Uh, ribs, barbecue ribs are easily my favorite. Uh, pork butt is probably the most forgiving and easy to do for parties because of the yield. Uh, and again, it's uh, how forgiving they are. Uh, steaks are always a mainstay here. Burgers have been my favorite here over the last, uh, well, pretty much during COVID. I've been eating burgers three or four times a week, I hate to say. Um, but, and, and nothing, like I'm not a, I'm really not a, f I'm a likes to eat foodie, but I'm not the guy that goes into the grocery store and walk down the aisles and I'm magically inspired by ingredients. Like that's just never been in my nature. I, I would rather have a recipe. I'd rather look at somebody make something and go, hey, they did all the hard work for me. Where's that recipe? Because I want to try and recreate that in the kitchen or outside on the grill. Uh, I'm that guy. I'm not, you know, fly by the seat of my pants and whip up a recipe that nobody's ever made before. So you're doing a lot of these quick cooks or these burgers, you're doing them on your gas grill? 100%. And by the way, Jay, let's talk about this. <laughs> you to name the show The Grill Coach and then publicly shame and lambaste people that have gas grills. I mean, how dare you? You're alienating a percentage of your listening base. Those people are tuning out. You need to get all the subscribers that you can be getting right now. And your co-host has, I fear, felt like he's not allowed to use his gas grill anymore and has gone to the Weber kettle. Now, I love the Weber kettle. I think the Weber kettle is the gateway cooker to uh, all things barbecue, like a pot is supposed to be the gateway drug to everything else. That's what uh, the kettle is for because you can do so many things on it. But the gas grill, I don't know what your problem is with it. It's convenient. It's I think I think you want to say that I can't get the same flavor out of the gas grill that I can on the charcoal. And I'm not going to take you to task there per se, but there's a lot of things that I can do with that gas grill. If that's the only option that I have and that's the only option that I want to use that night, there are plenty of things that I can do to help supplement the flavor. I can co close proximity smoke. I can add a smoke a tube on it. I can throw a wood chunk somewhere. I can put. Uh, charcoal down into the into the bottom of the grease tray and it will smolder and, and give me a charcoal flavor if I want to do would that. Would you use liquid smoke? <laughs> no, who would ever use liquid smoke? <laughs> How is that stuff even made? It's like the devil's <laughs> urine. It's crazy. <laughs> well, you know what? To this day, I still say the best steak that I ever cooked was on a gas grill. And so uh, I don't own a gas grill. And I, maybe on this show, this is teaching me something too. I, I I got some stuff to learn, and uh, you know maybe we do need to open up and uh, we try some things on the gas grill. It might be hard to purchase another gas grill though, so I'll do it maybe well while traveling. Oh, yeah. oh because multi cooker type thing on the wife, right? Is that we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's bring it hard. It's always easier to ask for forgiveness than <laughs> for permission. Beg for forgiveness than don't ask for, for, for permission. Let, let me know when you're going to do that. I'm going to video that. Yeah, because yeah. probably I'll be packing it up and taking it back. Because uh... <laughs> yeah, my wife told me at one point, for every new one you bring, you got to cycle one out. Ah, oh, like t-shirts, right? Yeah. So then you're <laughs> like you're picking kids. 
<laughs> but uh, I think you're absolutely right. And on the grill, and if that's what you have, we still believe that you can make good food. And everything we talk about on here making it, I definitely feel like you can make that on the on the, on the gas grill. So, to be fair, Jay, I poo pooed all over uh, pellet cookers for years until I actually got one, and then I quickly uh, rode my words back. And I, I'm a big pellet cooker fan, so you know I get it. <laughs> I was there too yeah. when I had the big green egg. I thought there was nothing better. All right, uh, let's see. So, Greg, what are some of your most requested foods that people ask of you? Uh, pulled pork. If we're having parties here, everybody loves pulled pork. Um, if we're having a special gathering uh, with just a couple friends, then uh, everybody wants the uh, the tomahawk steak. Um, I mean, I could go on and on about what a bunch of BS that is, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute. Wait, wait, go on. <laughs> yeah, you can't just say that and not explain that. I mean, it's the biggest scam going. Uh, it's a ribeye. What the hell is that big bone doing? Why do you even want that? You're not going to eat it. It's not going to do anything. You're not collecting them and hanging them like wall art or anything like that. You're paying for something that you're not going to use. I get great presentation. Who cares? Cut that for the gram. Yeah. Great for the gram. I, I, I hope I can be that rich one day where I'm buying bone because I can. Great. <laughs> Just get a bone and ribeye without the uh, five feet of extra bone and then cook it that way and get over yourself. <laughs> but I'll do the ribeyes, the uh, ribeye steaks. Although I am trending back more towards uh, towards the New York Strip, too, for some reason. I don't know. I've had a bunch of those recently, and I've realized that that was the first steak I fell in love with. And then I went to Porterhouse, and then for years and years, it's been ribeyes. But I've started to graduate a little bit more uh, back and back to the, to the uh, New York Strips as well. What do you like about, because I feel like I may, be able, I may be turning myself. What is it that you like more about the, the well, at the moment anyway, the New York versus the ribeye? Ultimately, it's the waste. The, mm. the best ribeyes, if you really, <laughs> unless you're just looking to go directly to the hospital. Um, if you're eating that whole thing and you're getting like a Wagyu or a Prime, I mean, you know, the, that piece of fat that separates the spinalis and the eye, it's substantial. I mean, what are you doing with that? I mean, you're cutting it out and you're kicking it over to the side of the plate. There's also a lot of fat uh, towards the tail that you're probably not eating and you're not keeping it and making beef tallow or anything. I mean, some of you are, I guess, but most of us aren't. So it's a lot of weight. I mean, so there's a lot of waste on the ribeye. It's certainly flavorful. It's great tasting. It's tender, all that stuff. But there's a lot of waste to it. The strip doesn't have that. It's a little bit different mouthfeel. It's got a little bit more chew to it. But still in the prime and Wagyu grades, super tender, very flavorful, and not near as waste. And if you get a relationship with a of a butcher that you can, you know, then be allies with, he'll cut the ones that don't have the little tendon that runs through it too. So it's mm. a great eat all the way from stem to stern. That's why I like it. That's a pro tip. Hey Greg, do you ever cook a brisket? I don't think I've ever heard you talking about cooking brisket or seen any of your Instagram posts with brisket. Yeah, I have. Um, I, I have a, a very few um, brisket posts there. It's um, my family isn't big into brisket, so for me to to buy one, I got to get buy-in from three other, uh, four other ladies. And uh, if they're not feeling it, then I'm not cooking it. I mean, that's that's a pretty big hunk for me to cook all by myself, and then everybody goes, "Well, what do we have for dinner?" So I've been going back into some older episodes and hearing about you, Greg. So can you tell us a little bit about this horse meat uh, and what that is about? 
I'm so glad you asked me about horse meat. First of all, horse meat 2020. Can I get an amen? Of course. <laughs> um, you know, if the, the long and the short of it is this, and it's actually going to be the long of it. If we're on a farm and we run a fence down the farm landscape, on the right-hand side, what do we have? Cat, dog, horse. Where the hell is this horse here? I don't know. On the other side of the fence, we have every other animal ever on the face of the earth. But not the horse. The sheep is over here, but the horse isn't. The cow, the squirrel, the rat, the mouse, the <laughs> rabbit, everything. Everything is on the other side of the fence. And I don't understand. I get the cow or I get the cat and I get the dog. We're not even talking about them. I do not understand why the horse is on the other side of the fence with the cat and the dog. Like, so what? It pulls stuff. Uh, all the other animals and things in the, in the world are working in their own way. Um, uh, there has been some weird relationship with humans and horses that they have been able to jump the fence over where the dogs and the cat are like they're pets. Uh, I don't understand. <laughs> it is a huge mistake. Uh, a, and there is a lot of meat going to waste. If you track back in our history, like Google it uh, up until 1975, I think, we were eating horse meat. And if you look at the reviews, and you can't find a Yelp review on horse meat, but <laughs> the reviews and how it was positioned, it was less expensive than traditional beef, tasted good. It was actually preferred by a lot of folks. It was leaner and it was widely available. Now, for the folks that are going to send me email about, well, what are you going to do? Just take that uh, thoroughbred off the racetrack and eat it or, uh, you know, the cow. It's out in the in the pasture. I'm not talking about that. I mean, those those horses have to be uh, maintained. There's antibiotics. You, you can't take a thoroughbred horse. That thing is full of butte and all this other stuff that would, like, kill you if you ate it. I mean, I get all that, right? I mean, it takes plenty of time to metabolize out of the horse. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying that we have an ability to supplement the meat in this country. We can raise horses. There are wild horses all over the country that are pests, that are delicious, that we're catching, putting on a truck and sending to Canada because Canada will eat them and Mexico will eat them. And oh, by the way, every other country in the world eats horse. There are delicacies in France and Italy and Germany. If Canada's doing it, why can't we? <laughs> Canada. So my, my, my grassroots plea is why can't we get the FDA to once again start supplementing the inspectors at the horse processing facilities, which there aren't open anymore, because it just didn't make any financial sense. They weren't giving any type of a credit back to those processing facilities like you get for the cows. Um, that's all subsidized by the USDA because they have USDA workers in there making sure that the proper guidelines are being filed. They weren't going to do that for the horses. They were going to make the production facilities pay for everything full boat. So it didn't make financial sense. That's how they drove it out finally, because you just couldn't stay in business doing that. So instead, they're shipped away. It's a great outlet for additional meat. It's supposed to taste delicious. I've heard from any number of folks that don't live here how good it actually is. Uh, so I don't, I don't see what the problem is. Everybody else sees what the problem is, but I don't see what the problem is. So I'm going to continue to push that agenda until nobody asks me about it. And by the <laughs> way, I'm infecting the elite volleyball world with the horse meat movement for three years in a row now, 
I have uh, 15 of the most elite, uh, which was 16, 17, and 18 year olds wearing horse meat shirts across this great land. <laughs> horse meat 2020. Choice. So just so we. Have you cooked with horse meat before? Or can we not do it? Illegal. It's highly illegal. Okay. I, I'd go to jail. You can go to or jail Canada. for that? Hell yeah! Didn't you hear? Of course you didn't, because I'm the only one that cares about horse meat. There was two years ago, there was a guy in Pittsburgh, a real high-level chef, who did a pop-up with some dudes that came down from Canada, and they secretly smuggled in horse meat and did a like a horse meat tartare dish. And they caught wind of it the next day, and the feds were in this guy's place. I tried to get oh, him on the show, and he denied to come on because it was like too much wow. heat on him. But it's it's totally illegal. You like you can't do it. I would recount another story of horse smuggling in, but uh, you know, may, maybe it's a little too blue for you guys. <laughs> wow. Let's just say some uh, foreign ladies were bringing in horse parts to eat later. We'll leave it at that. Google it. <laughs> <laughs> like to the tune of 40 pounds. Dang. Yeah. Well, uh, Greg, want to say thank you again for coming on the show. Uh, listeners, we're going to take another quick break. Don't forget to check out the grillcoach.com and also the barbecue Hi, this is Frankie from the Grill Coach Podcast, and I just wanted to take a moment and give a huge thank you to all of our listeners. We are trying to create a community where we can learn, teach, and share the amazing world of grilling and barbecue, and we couldn't do that without you. If you've been with us since episode one or just joining the Grill Coach team today, we could use your help in building this community and sharing our mission. Please take a moment to subscribe. Give us a five-star rating. Leave us some love in the comments and share our podcast with your friends and family. As a new and growing podcast, there's no better way to support us. And don't forget, we want to hear from you. Have a question? Grow Coach Challenge? Let us know. You can find us online at thegrowcoach.com or on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Patreon at The Grow Coach. All right, and we're back to this episode of The Grow Coach Podcast with our guest, Greg Rempe. Uh, Greg, thank you again so much for joining us. This has been a extremely informational uh, and fun episode. Um, we just really would like to give you an opportunity to tell us our listeners a little more about you and your show and how we can find you and all that goodness. Yeah, I certainly appreciate being here. It's been an absolute blast. Uh, just to give you a quick reminder, the show's live every Tuesday from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern. You can find all the listen watch links over at thebbqcentralshow.com. Uh, podcasts are then posted Wednesday, Thursday, and then the best of on Friday each week. So subscribe there. Uh, and then socially at BBQ Central Show on Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat and TikTok, although I don't really do TikTok, but I <laughs> have a handle there. And at BBQ Central Show on Facebook, which is the show page. So give a like there and don't ask me to, to be your personal friend because I deny any and all requests. <laughs> all right, guys. Now, let me interrupt just for a second because I'm a big fan. I've listened to all the episodes and I've heard about this uh, Pitmasters challenge that you guys are doing. Am I right? You got doing challenges? Grill coach challenge. Grill coach challenge. I'm going to throw down on you guys. Are you ready? I want to challenge the three of you to the best margarita Neapolitan pie, the high heat stuff, real popular right now. Who's with me? Who thinks they can do the best margarita pie? This guy right here. Oh, everybody. Right. Let's put it on the books. All right. We'll 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 post it on Instagram and, and we'll make sure to tag you on that when we do that. And uh, and we hope that you do the same. Oh, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to win. <laughs> we also want to put it out to our listeners, too. So tag us on Instagram uh, with your best margarita pizza, and we'll uh, 
pick the best ones and we'll feature you on the show. All right. Well, I want to take a minute to just, Greg, really say thank you. I've been a huge fan of you for a long time. I've always appreciated on your shows. You're uh, very humble in a conceding way and, uh, but, but very authentic. And I really liked your authenticity. You always got exactly who you are on that show and it, and it always shows. And it's something that always kind of drove me to, you know, this is the guy I want to listen to. And I always feel like I'm getting it straight from you, regardless of what the topic is. So I appreciate that. Jay, I appreciate the kind words and you guys are doing really good stuff here. Um, I know you're only a few episodes in and, you know, however I can help. I mean, I've been for everybody that's starting out. I've, I've been through these struggles. Uh, I've, I've had all these questions. So if there's anything I can do to help out, just ask. That's great to know. And uh, thank you again for coming on. And uh, we will definitely keep in touch and appreciate all your help that you've been giving us. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Never miss an opportunity to get Get outside outside the grill. grill. And don't forget to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Grill Coach. Also, check out our blog at thegrillcoach.com for more episodes of our podcast, as well as other great grilling-related content. Oh, yes, it's about that time to light it up and go outside. We're chilling, grilling up sides and drinks, rubs and recipes and cooking techniques. Outdoor cooking. Grilling smoke and barbecue So much flavor to teach And learn and share with you Grill Coaches Podcast To level up your game With Frankie, Wes, and Jay